In Chapter 1 of the Screenwriter Survival Guide, we discuss why you need to move out to L.A., how to find a place and a car once you do, and overall, how to not just survive, but thrive as a screenwriter. Let's face it, Hollywood is a lot, but for many of us, it's the only life we can imagine. I'm Sam Brooks, and my goal with this podcast is to take not-yet-screenwriters from their first homesick night in Los Angeles all the way to the red carpet. Welcome to Screenwriter Survival Guide. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the first ever episode of Screenwriter Survival Guide. You are here listening to history, and yes, I'm being very presumptuous And no, I promise I'm not this narcissistic, usually. Um, (laughs) Like I said in the intro, the purpose of this podcast is to connect um, young screenwriters, new screenwriters, not yet screenwriters. Um, That's the word I use instead of aspiring screenwriter. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. Um, And help people move from day one, no understanding of the industry, just no idea where to go from from, uh, where you are now, Uh, all the way, hopefully, to the red carpet. Uh, That's the idea. Um, I started this podcast because uh, there are a lot of great podcasts out there for screenwriters and for young, uh, not yet screenwriters, but there isn't a podcast that talks about everything. There isn't a podcast that brings you from step A to step Z uh, in order in this really kind of clear, uh, holistic uh, way. Um, There's some great podcasts out there. We'll talk about them in the show in, in different episodes. Um, the closest that comes to this, and I highly suggest everyone listening to this go out and subscribe right now. Yes, I do love this podcast. No, I'm not being paid by this podcast to, uh, to advertise them, but the children of Tendu, uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes is, is the closest I've come to, okay, this is like bringing me from step A to step Z, how to become a screenwriter. Um, but I wanted to go even more granular. I wanted to do, um, an episode. I, I knew I wanted to start with. So making the decision to come out to Los Angeles. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Just someone who is who is in their parents' home, has just finished college or decided to forgo college and just uh, has just finished high school and really wants to move out to L.A. and, and start their career as a screenwriter but just has no idea where to start. Um, I, wa- I really wanted to start with that person and then move my way up. Uh, I want to do episodes about um, getting an agent, about uh, writing your first script, about – you know, editing about uh, development, about um, making an independent film, uh, which is something every screenwriter eventually throws up their hands and says, screw it, I'll just make it independent. Um, so that was really kind of the goal uh, with this podcast. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm going to do it in a, right now, I'm starting off with a 10 episode first season. Um, and each episode, I'm going to be talking to someone who is frankly, just better than me at uh, various aspects of the industry. Because um, full, full radical candor. I am, uh, relatively new to the industry. I'm an up and comer. I have a few projects in development. I have a feature that's going into produc- production later this year. Um, I have a, uh, comic book, uh, web comic that should be coming out later this year. But, um, as far as like produced credits, I'm still relatively new. Um, so I am, I can't just sit here, uh, and talk for uh, 30 to 45 minutes a week, um, just on, uh, bring you all the way to the red carpet by myself. So we're going to be doing interviews, but they're going to be very kind of casual interviews, um, much more chatty. 
uh, with uh, friends of mine, with uh, people I look up to in the industry, with people I've never met, and I'm just very anxiously uh, cold DMing on Instagram um, to ask to beg them to come on the podcast. So um, that's what we're what we're going to be doing um, here in season one, uh, and then we're just going to kind of see what people think, how people respond to the podcast, um, how people whether people are, are interested in this. Um, or whether everyone just says, no, uh, I don't care. Um, so without further ado, let's get into the kind of first topic of today's episode, which is making the decision to come out to LA and just some of the logistical decisions you'll have to make, um, uh, as you make that big leap. And it is, it is the big leap. It is the biggest leap. Um, and if you're already in LA or if you have already made the decision and you already know where you're going to be staying in LA, uh, you may want to skip this episode. Um, I'm going to be releasing, I believe, all three of the first episodes uh, on the same day going uh, <laughs> streamer style. And that should give you an opportunity to listen to the next episode, which should be with my excellent coworkers, Laura and Risa, um, here at uh, Scott Free Pictures, uh, where we'll be talking about getting your first job and what you'll be doing in that job, uh, how to get it, how to go about reaching out, um, and how to put your, your best foot forward in that job. Um, but for now, let's move on to part one. All right. So the first thing you're going to have to really think about here, and this is kind of the, the way, the best place to start the podcast is the decision to come out to LA. Um, and later on in the episode, I'm going to be walking you through a little bit through my story, how I came out here, um, what kind of decision that was, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I didn't want to start off with that. It's very presumptuous. Um, <laughs> you know, hopefully, uh, not hopefully you will at some point, people will be listening to this in the future when I have, uh, you know, my name as a uh, created by in a, in a TV show. And, um, I am show running, uh, my own <laughs> Shondaland empire. Um, and people will care about my story and want that to be the first thing they hear. But, uh, that is not where we are at right now. Most people are coming to this being like, who is this random person? Um, so I figure I should give you some value, and then I'll tell my story later once you're invested. Um, but so let's kind of dive into making the decision to come out. Um, the most the most important question: Do I have to move to LA? Uh, if you've listened to any other podcast, read any other books, even like Yahoo answered uh, someone about screenwriting, um, you have probably come across people saying you have to move to LA to be a screenwriter. Um, now I really wish I could start off this podcast by being like by giving you my hot take and being like, here's why they're all wrong. But alas, that is not the case. Uh, everyone who says you have to move out to LA uh, to become a screenwriter is right. You do. Um, there are some jobs in screenwriting outside of Los Angeles. Uh, they are very rare and it is highly, highly unlikely that you are going to not move out to LA, somehow manage to get an agent, somehow manage to get one of those jobs and then move uh, and then get one of those jobs and never have to move to LA. Is it possible? Yes. And there are stories of people who do it, but we're not talking about, uh, you know, unicorn, uh, unicorns here. We're talking about, uh, what is going to make you put you in the best position to actually come out and succeed in Hollywood, uh, as a screenwriter. And honestly, the best thing you can do for yourself, the, the way that's going to give you, uh, the best chance is going to be by coming out to LA. Um, so how do you actually go about doing it? How do you come out to LA? Um, there are a couple of great ways. Now, if you can come out with a reason, 
um, for being here. We're going to talk about two of the biggest reasons uh, people can come out to L.A. Um, uh, that is great. But even if you don't have, even if you're not, uh, you don't have that opportunity, uh, it is still very important that you just actually do it. You actually just come out to L.A. Um, I always think it's great to come out on kind of a trial basis because uh, you can kind of trick your mind into making it less scary. You can say, oh, I'm just coming out for the summer. I'm just coming out for this short period, um, and then I'm going back. Uh, and once you come out here, you'll know that you'll know a lot of people who've done, who've done this, and they never go back. No one ever goes back because you get caught up in the world of Hollywood. You get caught up in the world of L.A. You find a job, or you meet people who have jobs, and it's suddenly, the moment you're out here, it becomes so much more real uh, that it is possible to do this, that it is possible to uh, sustain, to make and sustain a career in Hollywood as a screenwriter, and you just, usually you won't go back. Um, so me personally, I came out with uh, an internship, and that's the first major way, uh, the first kind of major hack you can have when you're coming out. Um, if you can get an internship, that is amazing. This is going to make your move way, way easier. Um, and the best way is find an internship. Um, if you're in college or if you've just graduated college, um, there many colleges have programs um, to help uh, their film students and, frankly, any students find internships with various companies. Um, and that is a great way, a great, great way to kind of get that first connection, um, get your foot in the door at an internship. Um, also, talk to any film professors you have or uh, had a relationship with, um, because they can also, they also will often have connections to companies, film companies in Los Angeles. Um, another great way to find internships is people, you know, uh, in your hometown or in, um, you know, or people, you know, from LA or from school, uh, who are already, who are a few steps ahead of you. Um, these people are going to be invaluable to getting your first gigs, to getting your internships, um, I got my first internship through the son of a friend of my mom. Um, <laughs> when I was home from college on a Christmas break, uh, my mom's friend came over uh, and her son was with her. And you know how it is, like when your parents are chatting with their friends, you and you know, and their children are there, you have to make kind of awkward conversation with them. Um, so that's what we did. We made kind of awkward conversation. Uh, and it very quickly became not awkward because we kind of hit it off and he was like, oh, I'm living out in LA working at this, uh, motivational media company called impact theory. Um, and we're looking for interns. Um, so that was awesome. So I, I made a resume cause I didn't have one. Um, and I just kind of made one and, and threw it and gave it to him. And, uh, six months later I was, uh, standing outside a mansion in Beverly Hills where their company was based out of. And just kind of freaking because I'd never been to LA before and I was super scared, but got uh, this amazing opportunity to work at a really, really cool company um, just through someone I knew. Um, the last thing I'd recommend is kind of connected to the people you know method. And that is reaching out to alumni of your school or people from your hometown um, who work in entertainment. Um, and I know you may think there's no one. You may think you're from that tiny town where there's just no one uh, who works in film and uh, TV, and I, I think you're wrong. Uh, that is um, that is the, what I would say to that. Uh, it is possible that you live in the one town in the world where no one has moved to L.A., um, 
but unlikely. I come from a tiny town of 14,000 14, in New Hampshire, which if you, you know, on a map, uh, is about as far from Los Angeles as you can get in the contiguous United States. Uh, it's also not connected to film in any way. It's a tiny little college town. And they still had um, already the director of The Witch uh, and The Lighthouse, Robert Eggers, uh, went to my high school. Um, and he knew a friend of mine. And um, I didn't get a job from him, but I have had great, um, you know, calls and, I've, you know, had great advice from him. Um, also, the director, I'm totally blanking on her name and I'm terrible for this, uh, but the director of Frozen also went to the college that's in my town. Um, so there are ways to find people and it doesn't have to be a screenwriter. It can be a, a gaffer or a, a cinematographer, an editor, uh, someone who's a PA, you know, if if you're from Durham, um, and I, I would count, you know, uh, someone who, anyone who works in entertainment, you can just reach out to them. And if they're from your town, they will like, they will like to talk to you. Um, I know, I speak from experience that like when someone, uh, reaches out to me on LinkedIn or wherever, who is from my hometown, who we have this connection with, uh, or from my college or anything like that, um, and reaches out and says, Hey, can, can we talk? Uh, can we discuss things? I am more than happy to help them. And, um, I'm also happy to help anyone who, who reaches out to me, but I'm more likely to say, read their script or put their name forward for a position at my company or at another company that I know is, is looking for PAs or, or hiring in some capacity. Um, and so I would say that, uh, just don't be afraid to ask. It is, it can be very stressful to, to ask for these things at some times, but I, I promise you that like, you won't, it, you're guaranteed to fail if you don't ask. This is like a, a trick in, in life in general that if you don't ask for something, you're guaranteed not to get it. If you do ask for something, it's possible they'll say no. They probably won't say no as meanly as you're thinking they're going to say no in your head. Uh, and there's a very good chance they won't even say no. And they will actually say yes and agree to help you. Um, there's a lot of people who just, that's one thing I've discovered in entertainment is people will say yes a lot more than you think they will if you just ask. Um, so... That is the ways to get an internship uh, out in L.A. Um, the only other method, of course, is actually just going and applying. Um, call, call, call if you're going to do that. Uh, don't just go on Indeed. Um, I have worked for a production company as a receptionist before, um, and I know that don't just call and say – or rather, don't just, uh, reach, don't just uh, send in your application on Indeed. Call the person. Call the front desk, and if someone calls me – um, well, I'm working as a receptionist and says, Hey, I have, I would love to be considered for a PA position. Um, I'm more than likely to, uh, sit on the phone with them for 10 minutes and kind of explain the ins and outs of the industry. And, uh, also to pass their name on, uh, to my higher ups. Um, now not everyone will be like this. You will get some assholes. There's assholes in every industry. Um, I kind of think the amount of assholery in this industry is a bit overblown. Um, most people are friendly. I have found, um, but you, you may get some assholes. Um, you just got to be, you know, some people are dicks and you just got to be okay with that um, and move on, find the next company, but call. If you're going to apply for places, call. Okay, the next great way to um, come out to LA on this kind of trial basis so you don't need to put all your eggs in the basket um, is with a college exchange program. Um, I left college after one year, so I don't have a ton of experience with this. But I know a lot of colleges have exchange programs with schools in Los Angeles, such as UCLA, USC. Those are the ones I would recommend if you can 
possibly get them. Um, the ones that are kind of more centrally located, located more towards um, the film industry. Other schools, um, Cal State, uh, you know, other schools that are kind of outside of the Hollywood area are going to be more difficult for you to actually interact with the entertainment industry. Your school may also have a satellite campus. I know the uh, New York Film School has a location in L.A. because I think it's very funny when I'm driving on the 101 and there's a sign that says New York Film School. Um, and I'm like, this is about as far from New York as it's possible to be. Um, and also I know Emerson College has a very beautiful, beautiful satellite campus right on Sunset Boulevard um, that they're very, very proud of, um, rightfully so, because it is gorgeous. And if you are part of one of those schools or if you are part of a school that has an exchange program with L.A., finding... Uh, a way to come out on an exchange is great because you will find people who are there in a very similar capacity as you, which is very uh, a very good way to kind of start making connections early. Uh, you'll also just be able to experience LA without the pressure of like, okay, I actually have to find a job. I have to like, you know, I, I've committed to this. I have to actually make this happen. Ah, you know, you'll you'll actually just be able to kind of chill for a bit and and experience kind of dip your feet into LA. And I think. Uh, basically everything I've said so far has kind of led to the same place that if you have this ability to kind of just ease into it, to, to kind of not stress out, uh, that is the best. Uh, if you can do that, if you can't, however, I still will end with this, uh, come out, just do it, make the leap. Um, it's, it's hard, it's scary. Um, but I promise you it's, it's just as scary. Uh, once you finish that internship, and you're offered a job, and you have the chance to go back to school uh, where everything's safe, or to strike out on your own, be responsible for your own rent, and have to move to L.A. Um, permanently. Uh, it is still scary. So you're just putting off the scary. Um, if you come out with an internship or you say, I'm waiting until I have an internship, if you do your best, I would say try to find an internship first or try to find a college exchange program. But if you can't, don't let that stop you from coming out. It is very important to actually be out in Los Angeles in order to start making this happen. It is maybe not the most difficult part. It is definitely not the most difficult part. Uh, that's what everyone says um, about everything, really. They, just coming out, just going there is the hardest. Uh, it's not. Um, <laughs> actually trying to make it in the industry is the hardest, but it is a big piece of the puzzle you're taking out when you just come. And it also makes you accountable to yourself. It makes you say, okay, shit, I actually have to do this now. Um, in a way that, you know, if you just stay at home and say, I'm going to be a screenwriter someday, uh, it isn't. It doesn't. Um, and I understand there are extraneous circumstances. I don't want to make anyone feel bad about not coming out or about not, you know, making uh, the leap. Uh, it is fine if you can't, if you are not at that place yet. But I would recommend, very strongly recommend, if you can come out, to just come out. Um, and if you're lucky enough to have parents who can support you, uh, let me tell you from experience, do not feel bad about taking their money if they're offering it. Um, if they're offering to help you with rent, I've been helped with rent before by my parents. I understand, of course, not everyone is that lucky. Not everyone is that privileged, and it is a big issue within our industry that lots of people are not as privileged as other people, and it, it makes it more difficult for some people um, especially from some different backgrounds, more diverse backgrounds, to, to come out in, in larger numbers, which, which kind of keeps the uh, stranglehold of, you know, privileged, um, I'm not going to skirt around anymore, privileged white people um, on the industry. But 
that being said, I very strongly um, subscribe to the belief that you should not uh, like put your own well-being beneath um, cultural change. Um, so if people are offering, if your parents are offering to help you with rent or to help you with your plane tickets or to just support you while you first move out, I very would, I very strongly would say don't turn your nose up at that. Like just take that. Um, even though it can be scary, even though it can be, you can feel bad or you're like you're mooching. Um, I always kind of have it in the back of my head that when my show gets picked up, I'm going to pay my parents back for all the, the stuff they helped me with. I'm going to, you know, write them a check for $10,000 and you know, that might be really low balling. I don't know. But uh, um, that's at least a thing you can you can keep in the back of your head um, that you're it's a loan you're taking out a loan you're not taking out uh, um, you're not getting a handout. All right, so on to part two. The screenwriter survival guide is brought to you by GetMeAnAgent.com. This is a different sort of ad. No money is exchanging hands here. Why? Because Get Me An Agent is my company. Whoa. For less than $20 a month, Get Me An Agent is the fast pass to hundreds of Hollywood-lit agents and their contact information. Plus 24-7 support from actual industry professionals via live chat and email, free email templates to help you reach out, and so much more. Want personalized help? Send us your script and we'll match you with five agents and five managers who've worked on similar projects to yours. I'm super excited to be offering listeners of Screenwriter Survival Guide a very special deal. You'll get one free month plus half off your subscription forever when you use the discount code SURVIVE at checkout. That's S-U-R-V-I-V-E. Now, I'm going to level with you. As of recording, I don't personally have representation. I say this to clarify that Get Me An Agent is by no means a panacea. As anyone who works in the industry will tell you, there are no shortcuts to the hard work of becoming an excellent writer and building your Hollywood network. What Get Me An Agent provides is a way to connect young screenwriters with their most important connection in the business, their reps. And we've already connected many of our customers with agents. So try it out risk-free today. Visit getmeanagent.com and try a free month with no commitment. And when you're ready to take the leap, use the discount code SURVIVE to get half off your plan forever. Alright guys, now back to the show. All right, so on to part two, which is actually what to do when you actually come out to LA. Um, and this is we're going to cover uh, finding a place to live, uh, getting a car, and just some other general things that it's important to know uh, as you're coming out to this weird, strange city. Um, so the first thing I would say is try to find your place uh, beforehand. So give yourself as much uh, runway as possible. Um, but it's going to be difficult to do that more than, say, a month in advance just because, like most cities, places really don't become available more than, like, a month in advance, you know, because people uh, leave an apartment and then they try to fill that apartment as soon as possible. Um, for instance, when I got off the plane um, my first night in L.A., uh, I still didn't even have the address of the place I was supposed to stay. 
uh, because I had had my application interview the night before, and they had like tentatively confirmed me to live at this co-living place that I was uh, looking to live at, but it was still tentative, and we didn't actually know – I didn't actually have an address yet for them. So that is a warning. So give yourself as much extra time as you can, accepting that there may not be – that may not be an option. And look, it all worked out fine for me too. Um, and that's the thing. Like there may be stressful times, especially when you're – your first couple of days. But it will all work out you know. Um, in 99.99995% of situations. You're going to be okay. Um, and it's just going to be a great story. Um, so the, there's a couple of choices kind of when you're considering places to live that I would, uh, recommend. Um, and I'm going to rank them in order. There's kind of three choices I'm going to give you. Uh, and of course, you know, there's other options when moving out. If you have family members, et cetera, we're not going to cover that. Um, but I figure if you have family members, you kind of have a, you don't really need this, this section of the episode anyways, you can just skip ahead a few minutes. Um, the first option and best option I would say is co-living. And what this basically is, is that you're in a house or an apartment with other people. Um, sometimes you'll have your own room and you will simply share the common space. So that's very similar to just a normal apartment. Um, but the kind of most popular kind of co-living, and this is what I did, uh, what most of them kind of, if you're, especially if you're on a budget, uh, are going to be, are, um, you're in a room with other people and usually there's bunk beds and you're stuffed into a, a, a tiny room. There's like six or seven people in a tiny room and uh, it's crazy. It, it can be pretty crazy. Um, there are some great benefits to living in a place like this and then there are some drawbacks. Um, I definitely recommend this as kind of if you're first coming to LA, this is what you would do. And I am not an extrovert by nature. Uh, that's something I, I force myself every day to be. Um, and so I'm not, so don't, don't think that like, oh, this guy, he just like loves being around other people. So that's why he wants to live at this place. Like, no, when I came out to LA, I would have loved beforehand to have had a private bedroom or a private apartment, that kind of thing. But in retrospect, it was great having, um, living at co-living because you have an immediate group of people mm, that you just don't get if you're living on your own. Um, you have a big group of people. For me, at the, the the co-living place I lived at, it was only for artists, for new, for young artists coming to LA. So for screenwriters and directors and musicians and all that stuff. Um, so it was great for networking. It was great for built creating friends. I met uh, lots of my great friends there uh, that are still good friends um, in LA. I met an ex-boyfriend there. Um, so there, are, it's a great way to meet people. Um, now, personally, I wouldn't recommend staying for more than like three to four months. But usually, since everyone kind of uh, has a three to four month span of how long they can live on a bunk bed um, in a room with 10 other people, um, there's usually lots of people looking to move out all at once. So you can kind of make friends, uh, live there for a few months, and then move out with people. Um, the biggest downside uh, to these co-living spaces are obviously space. There just isn't very much space. As I, you know, as I said before, I met my ex-boyfriend there. Uh, it was very difficult to find spaces to do boyfriend things um, in a place where you are in a bunk room with 10 other guys and there is a curtain that blocks the bed. Um, so, uh, yes, so that is kind of the biggest drawback. 
um, the lack of personal space. Um, but there are a couple of different places, uh, different uh, places that offer these co-living um, kind of style apartments that I want to mention. The one I used that I really loved um, was called Upstart, um, which do not get that mistaken with the loan company uh, that sends me unsolicited shit every week. So thanks, Upstart, the other Upstart. But this Upstart is um, it's designed specifically for artists um, who are first moving to L.A., uh, they have rents that range from seven fifteen a month to seven ninety five, and what's great about them is they're great for networking, uh, great for making friends. They have free events. They used to be really cool. The events they used to do when I first moved there were awesome. They had like a um, uh, harbor cruise of uh, Newport Beach, um, which is like the ritzy Orange County Beach south of LA. Um, for like the 4th of July and they did like, they, they rented out like fancy houses in the hills for um, different uh, holidays and stuff that we do pool parties. So they had a lot of very fun stuff. Uh, they, they kind of stopped doing that, but that is a great kind of way to have a built-in community um, right off the bat. Um, other ones that I'm not as familiar with, but Eddie, E-D-D-Y dot co, uh, they provide a similar kind of style. They look a little bit more chic from the pictures, but I don't believe, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I don't believe they are kind of, uh, targeted towards film or entertainment, uh, like Upstart is. Um, coliving.com is a little bit more expensive. They have apartments starting at 850. Um, but I, I, I'm not very familiar with them. Uh, so the other kind of co-living there is, which is much closer to, um, just an apartment is something called Common. And they're, they kind of start at 900 and they, in a common room, you have a uh, private bedroom, but you share uh, an apartment or house with other people. And so it's just kind of like an apartment, but the, your roommates, instead of having to find them yourself, are facilitated. They also pay for things like soap and cleaning and uh, toilet paper and other things like that that uh, you wouldn't get uh, in a normal apartment. Mm. All right, so let's say co-living isn't your thing. Uh, that is absolutely fine. I get it. It's a lot for some people. It was a lot for me, to be honest. Um, so I completely get it. If you're like, I hate that, uh, turning off this podcast. Don't do that, please. Um, there are other options. Uh, the second choice, uh, I would say, is sharing an apartment. Um, rent in LA is very, very expensive, and it is rare that you would find any private location for under 1500 a month. Um, me and my ex, uh, we had an apartment together that was a studio literally the size of a small closet that was 1200 and that was like a crazy steal. Um, and I don't even think it's that cheap anymore. <laughs> um, so going in with a group of friends or even a group of people you don't know can be, it can be dangerous because you don't know these people, but it can also be great because it's way cheaper and you get to knock a ton of money off the rent. So, for instance, when I worked at Impact Theory, uh, me and five coworkers, some of which you'll hear, hear from later on the show in later episodes, um, all got an apartment together. Um, and we got it in Westwood, which is a beautiful neighborhood in, uh, in L.A. It's where UCLA is. And 
we got this beautiful apartment, uh, two bedroom, and there were six of us, and we each paid six hundred a month. And it was a lot because there were just a lot of people um, in a small space. Um, so you're gonna have to know that like it's okay. Uh, you're gonna have to know what kind of person you are, right? If you're the kind of person that needs all your roommates to be very clean, um, I have kind of figured that look, as long as my area is clean, I don't care if the rest of the apartment's disgusting. I will try to keep it clean, but if if other people aren't trying to do that, that's okay as long as my little area can remain clean. Um, but if you're not that kind of person, that's fine. You just know that about yourself and know that okay, maybe you can only get a group of you can only get an apartment with a group of people who are clean. Um, if you say don't have any friends or people who are moving out to LA with you, uh, there are great Facebook groups uh, where you can meet tons of other people who you might want to move in with. Um, all of their names are very generic. They're like LA rooms, comma, rent, comma, find roommates. Um, so I can't, you know, I can't really list any here, uh, very well, but I'll put some in the show notes that are some of my favorites. Um, I personally have not had much success looking through either trying to find a roommate or trying to find an apartment on those, uh, groups because I don't look very thoroughly. Um, everything I've heard has pointed to the idea that it's, you have to just like, be on there constantly, uh, checking often, but I do have friends that have gotten just crazy deals just because they were there at the right time and they just DM'd the right person. Um, so that is kind of the second option. Um, and the final choice is to just get your own apartment. Um, now this isn't ideal for a number of reasons. Firstly, cost, uh, like I said before, like my tiny studio apartment, was twelve hundred dollars, um, and that was uh, really cheap. <laughs> so it's not—it's more normal to get something fifteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars upwards for a small studio. Um, and also, if you get your own place, and if if you're a complete extrovert, I have a friend who is a complete extrovert, and he has his own one-bedroom apartment, and that's great for him because he go—he's like has no problem going out to bars by himself every night and meeting, like, 50 people, and then, like, he has just, like, a crazy roster of friends. Um, now, I wish that was me um, <laughs> in, uh, sometimes, but uh, that is not. And I think it's important to know yourself that um, I-, I can do that if I have to, um, and I will do it for networking sometimes, but you don't want to have to network your friends. Um, so you want to be able to build a community in, like, a natural kind of friend community in, the, in a way that's going to feel natural to you and not feel like work. And so for me, having a built-in community of roommates and other people who live at my co- co-living space was very important to kind of naturally meet people. And you just, you just don't get that if you're getting your own apartment. And especially since LA is a weird city, there isn't great public transportation, there isn't great place to... Uh, commune together to kind of come together. It's a lot of cars and a lot of very private personal people in their personal bubbles. Um, it's pre- it's not unique in that, but it can feel very isolating and alone, even though it's very sunny and there's tons of people everywhere. Um, so having a group of people is really important. So that is why I usually don't recommend this. But if you are the kind of person who is completely fine uh, meeting people anywhere, in any context, uh, then this might be perfectly fine for you if you can swing $1,500, $2,000, $2,500 a month in rent. Um, when you're looking for an apartment, I recommend apartments.com. That is my favorite place 
to find a place, uh, which is literally their tagline. And no, they do not pay me. Uh, I was just trying to riff. And uh, that was the first thing that popped into my head. Um, there are also apps where you can find roommates and find apartments like Tinder for roommates. Uh, that's not what it's called. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, I found it useless. Um, didn't find a lot of people there. Um, briefly, let's just talk over some communities um, that you might want to live in, neighborhoods. Um, so everyone wants to come out to Hollywood, move to Hollywood, but you don't want to live in Hollywood, like in the neighborhood Hollywood. You don't, I promise. It's dirty. It's gross. Uh, I have a friend who lives there, and whenever I go to see her uh, and come to pick her up, uh, I have to wait 10 minutes because she has to go around and check every single window in her house to make sure it's locked because otherwise someone will break in and steal all her stuff. Um, it is just not, and it's like not a place where I feel safe, uh, walking on the street at night, uh, like without headphones in, like you want to be like aware of yourself. Um, it's also full of traffic. It's full of tourists. Uh, it's just, some people love it and that's, you know, people might send me some angry, uh, DMS about this. Um, so if you love Hollywood, that's great. Uh, it's not for me, and I would recommend people coming out avoid the neighborhood of Hollywood. Um, I would also say avoid the valley. Um, the valley is kind of the area north of Los Angeles, so you're looking at communities like Burbank, Studio City, uh, Woodland Hills, Sherman Oaks. That's probably too expensive to find cheap apartments in. But those kind of areas, especially the more north you go, Panorama City, um Crap, I'm forgetting. There's other ones. Just anywhere in the San Fernando Valley um, is something I would not recommend just because it can tend to be uh, – it's very far. And there's a lot of traffic getting into the city. It's going to be far from where your jobs are. Um, and it's just you don't feel as much like you're a part of the city. You feel a little bit like you're other um, – L.A. can feel a lot like a giant suburb at times, but I think the worst examples of that are the valley. Um, so yes, so I would recommend the neighborhoods I love, uh, West Hollywood, Santa Monica, Silver Lake, Echo Park. Um, I think USC is pretty nice, but just USC, when you are go off USC campus, it gets dicey pretty quickly. Um... Westwood is very nice, um, and I'm not just going to list every single neighborhood in Los Angeles, but um, yes, I'll add a more comprehensive list in the show notes of uh, places to live, great neighborhoods to live, and not so great neighborhoods to live. Um, but oftentimes, it's going to be based on what you can afford, and if you find a, a great apartment in Studio City or Hollywood, like take it. You know, like if you find a great cheap deal, don't don't you know turn your nose up at it. But if you have an option. Those are the neighborhoods I would choose. All right, let's talk cars. Um, just like I said at the top of the show, I really wish I could be the person coming here with a really hot take um, saying, uh, no, you don't need a car to live in Los Angeles. What are you talking about? All these people, they're wrong. Um, and I'm sure people will tell me that uh, you don't need a car to live in Los Angeles. But I just disagree with that. Um I try to drive as little as possible um, personally and take public transit as much as possible. But uh, especially right now, um, as COVID is still 
you know, it's over mostly here, but you still have to wear a mask on public transit. People aren't really coming back to public transit as much. And also LA is just a huge, huge city. So public transit takes a long, long time. It isn't an effective way to get to and from work unless you live very close to your work. And the other thing that's very important to note is the, we'll talk more about jobs uh, in the next episode and just kind of how to get your first industry job. But most industry jobs are going to want you to have a car um, because they're going to be PA jobs. And PAs are always running back and forth. They're going to pick up coffees. They're going to pick up lunch. They're going to run a drive across town to a different production company. There's going to be a lot of these kind of um, very uh, car-related tasks. And many companies won't hire people unless they have a car. Um, So that is and even if you get even if your first job you luck out and you don't need a car, chances are you'll need one for your second job. Also, just it's more pleasant to be around LA if you have a car. Um, but I understand that buying a new car or buying a used car for seven thousand dollars is not uh, is not an option for most for most new people coming out to LA. Uh, it certainly wasn't for me. Um, so let's talk some options to get kind of the cheapest. Uh, cheapest options for getting trans- reliable transportation around LA. Um, so the first is to buy a used car at a car dealership. That's what I did. Um, I'll put the name of the place I bought my car from in the show notes. Um, it is was this little tiny car dealership on Santa Monica Boulevard in East Hollywood. Um, I And all the talk of skeezy car salesmen was completely wrong. This guy was amazing. Uh, he sold me this car for $1,500. It was driving completely fine by the time I sold it two years later or a year and a half later. I may have hit a trash can with it and uh, knocked off the side mirror, but that's on me. That's not on the car. Um, But so that is kind of, I think, the best option. If you buy a used car at a car dealership, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be sexy. It's not going to drive very fast, but chances are it'll get decent fuel mileage um, and it will do the job. It will get where you need to go. Um, for your career. Um, The second option is to use Craigslist. Uh, You can obviously, I I don't need to explain Craigslist to anyone here, um, and you can find cars from $1,000 and even under um, on Craigslist. I would warn anyone looking to buy a car on Craigslist that it's important to bring your car to a mechanic before you actually buy it. Um, Get it inspected, see if there's anything wrong with it. I have had many people I know who uh, have been seriously burned by buying a car on Craigslist without inspecting it and the car dies six months later um, or it's just a money pit and you have to spend $500 every two months or even more to get it to keep running. Um, So definitely if you use Craigslist, buyer beware, use, bring it to a mechanic, get it inspected uh, before you buy. Um, The next option I would say is to lease a car. Um, I've I've never been a huge fan of this. Um, just because it's dumping money into something you doesn't doesn't you don't own at the end of the day, um, but it, it is an option for for many people. Um, it's a lower there's no, not a big upfront cost, even though it does cost more uh, overall than a fifteen hundred dollar car. Um, but when I went on True Car to search for just a basic car uh, in LA, I found a Toyota Camry for around three hundred dollars a month. Um, so that's kind of the price range you'll be looking at. There used to be this great car, this great app called Fair, 
that was kind of like a lease but different. Um, that was like a lease. You leased it through the app and it was cheaper. Um, and I'm not sure their at their uh, website still exists. Um, but right now it's just a landing page to collect emails for like some new upgraded version of fair they're doing. Um, but that was a great app. So it may be back around by the time you listen to this, uh, F A I R, uh, great. It was great when, uh, when I used it, uh, way cheaper than a usual lease. Um, the next option is to just drive your car from home. Um, and I know your home may be really far away from Los Angeles. If you're across an ocean, I can't really help you. Probably not cheaper to do. Um, but me personally, I drove my car out from New Hampshire, which is about as po- uh, as far as possible uh, in the contiguous United, United States from Los Angeles. It took me three days, three 15-hour days, um, and I actually kind of enjoyed it. It was pretty fun. I slept in my car. I listened to Game of Thrones and Harry Potter just the entire time, cranked it 90 miles an hour through Utah. It was amazing. Like It, it was actually pretty fun, um, but it's gonna co- it costs more than a plane ticket just gas getting across the country, especially if you're getting hotels and food and and all that stuff. Um, So, you know, do it or, um, but it's, it's going to be more expensive. It's not a cost effective way to get across. It is a cost effective way to get your car here. Uh, I also know of people who've shipped their cars. I have no under, I have no knowledge of that. Wasn't even planning on bringing it up. Forgot it had happened until just this moment. Uh, So I don't have any money, you know, any um, financial tips for, shipping your car to LA, but I do know some people who've done it. Um, so it is possible. Um, the last option I'll bring up, and this isn't really a great option as to be your primary car, but that is car sharing. Um, so it, before you buy a car or if your car gets broken down, da- if, if your car is broken down, if you, uh, don't listen to me and come to LA without a car and then get a job that you lie and say you have a car, which happens to people, um, I have a, I had a coworker who is now a former coworker, maybe not a uh, coincidence there, but I have a coworker who um, got hired without a car and then had to scramble uh, after he started at the company um, because uh, his he had to gra- get a car because they needed one for for this job. Um, so if you d- if you do find yourself in that situation. There are a couple of great car sharing options. Um, the two that I want to talk about today are Zipcar and Blue LA. Um, Zipcar, if you're you know if you're anywhere in the U.S., you might be familiar with Zipcar. It's very big on college campuses. Um, so especially if you work or live near UCLA or USC, there will be Zipcars around. Um, the basic idea with Zipcar is you sign up in the app, you go to a special parking spot somewhere in your city, pick up the Zipcar. Um, usually you just tap your phone on the hood and it unlocks or on the windshield rather, and it unlocks and you drive it. It charges you by the hour or by the day. And then you bring it back to the same spot and you leave at the end of the day. Uh, it's kind of like a rental, but it's, you know, more convenient. Um, zip car costs $7 a month and then it's $83 for the full day or $10 an hour if you only need it for you for a few hours. So if you're, if you just need like a quick run or something, um, it can be a, a cost effective way to have a car in LA. The other option is blue LA. Um, I've never used it myself, but it costs $5 a month and, uh, they have a slightly different pricing model. It's 20 cents a minute. Um, blue LA is electric cars as well. So you pick your car up at an electric charging spot, 
that's kind of like it's almost like those city bikes if you've seen those in other cities um you go up to kind of like this little stand on the side of the road you you know press a little button and your car comes out um both of these however are just too expensive to use as your primary uh option for a car um and if you do somehow have the money you might want to look inside and reassess why you don't just buy a car with that money um <laughs> but some other general tips for car buying before we move off the the car buying train um if possible, register your car in your home state. Uh, chances are it's cheaper than California, uh, where everything is quite expensive. And as well as inspection and registration and all the fees, um, you'll have to get your car smog checked, which is an extra 30 to 60 bucks. It's not a terrible price, but it's, it's just an extra fee. Um, smog check is definitely something I agree with in precedent, uh, but in uh, personal experience, it's very annoying. Um, but LA is definitely a weird city, but you'll see you'll see tons of out-of-state plates just because everyone does that. Everyone registers their car in their home state because it's cheaper. Um, if possible, buy a smaller car. You'll be stuck in traffic all the time, promise. And you'll be doing a lot of parallel parking. When I moved out, I didn't even know how to parallel park. Um, but believe you me, I had to learn very quickly um, when I moved to LA. So a smaller car is just an easier way. I would not get a smart car just because you look like such a douchebag, but um, just as as small a car as possible. Um, and if you have a smart car, I love you. I don't think you're a douchebag, only a little bit. Uh, okay, moving on. Um, the last tip, uh, general car buying tip, is if you can, try to get an electric or hybrid car. Uh, they're more expensive, so it's going to be a more expensive upfront fee um, and or a more expensive monthly fee if you have a lease. But you do get a sticker to use in the uh, high occupancy lanes, which I always call hub lanes. Um, and that's a lifesaver because traffic on the freeways here is horrific. Um, and the other thing is gas prices in California are insane. Um, as of recording, the average price of gas in LA County is four, is like above four a gallon. It's like 450 or something like that, which is just an insane price. Uh, for gas. And you also get to park in special electric vehicle spots at in parking lots, which uh, get very busy, at, especially like um, on the weekends. I drove around a mall t- for 25 minutes yesterday trying to, or two days ago trying to find parking, uh, and there were plenty of open electric vehicle spots. So if you can get an electric vehicle, get that. All right, let's just talk briefly about some quick tips. Uh, you're out in LA, you have your, uh, uh, your apartment, you have your car. Um, what are some other little quick tips I can give you, um, to get you best settled into LA? Um, get a library card. Um, it gets you access to this thing called Canopy, which is spelled with a K. Uh, and that's a free streaming service for all library card, uh, holders that has tons of criterion films and other kind of more niche films that they don't put on Netflix. Um, uh, if you're looking for industry events, for ways to meet people outside of, you know, your co-living space or your apartment or your job, and you're just kind of looking to expand your, your network a little bit, um, meetup.com is a great way to find writers groups and other industry events. Um, also there's tons of Facebook groups. Um, LA TV writers is a great Facebook group. Um, there's a ton more. I'll put some in the show notes. Uh, God, I, I should start writing down what I'm putting in the show notes because I'm going to start forgetting. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, that is a great way to meet people and make connections. Um, absolutely. Uh, and the last thing I'll say, um, if you can, get a subscription to AMC Stubbs A-List or Regal Cinemas Unlimited, um, which get you access to free movie tickets. And it's just way cheaper. It's about the price. Each one is about the price of like 1.5 movie tickets. So if you go to the movies more than twice a month uh, or twice a month or more, it is cheaper than just paying for tickets. Plus they get you access to IMAX and Prime and Dolby Cinema and all the fancy stuff they do. Um, AMC Stubbs comes with, comes with three free movie tickets per week. And Regal Unlimited is free movie tickets uh, unlimited free movie tickets as, you know, clear from the name. Uh, I do like AMC stubs better just because there are more AMC theaters in LA. There's just one Regal theater in LA. Um, at least in the city and kind of West LA area where I live. Um, but, uh, a list starts at 1999 a month and Regal unlimited starts at $18 a month. Um, Yes. My personal favorite theaters as well are AMC Century City and AMC Universal Studios CityWalk, but there, but there are some awesome theaters that are just kind of must-go-to theaters if you're a film person, which you probably are if you're listening to this podcast, um, and I would recommend definitely check out the Chinese Theater uh, at least once. Um, that is an awesome experience. It's very tacky and obnoxious, but yes, it's, it's great. Um, El Cap is right across the street from uh, Chinese Theater. That's great, too. Um, there are some other theaters that I, you can't really get tickets to see normal movies there. But if you can get a, a you know, if there's lots of free tickets to attend, like, events and stuff like that, um, where uh, I would think would be a great, uh, great to experience, uh, like the Egyptian Theater and the Dolby Theater, um, that's a little more premium. That's where they hold the Oscars and stuff, so that's a little bit more difficult to get tickets to. Um, also there are theaters like, um, downtown, there's the Alamo Draft House, which is a great, it's like the theater where you can also eat dinner and, and get beer and all that, that fancy stuff. And then there's like Quentin Tarantino's theater, the new Beverly. It's very fancy, uh, very cool. Those actually last two I've never been to, which I have to go to. It's one of the, it's kind of embarrassing that I haven't been to it and I'm admitting it on a podcast. Uh, people swear by those theaters. Um, but yes, not yet. Haven't yet been to one of those. Um, yes. And we're actually, I'm actually going to do an episode. I believe it's episode four. That's going to be talking about days off and it's going to be talking about, um, like what you can do when you're not writing, what you can do on the weekends, how to make friends, uh, how to kind of connect more with other kind of non-industry industry things. So we'll talk more about, uh, meetup and more about uh, different movie theaters and, and uh, ways to get free tickets to premieres and focus groups and other sorts of events. Um, so stay tuned for that, which will be in episode four. All right. I want to end all of my episodes in a very similar way, and I have a very specific final question to ask each of my guests. And that before I start asking them that, I actually want to answer it uh, right now. Um, but before I do, I want to first uh, kind of let you guys know where you can find me online. And so I'm on Instagram at Sam Brooks presents. Um, and you can email me as well, Sam at screenwriter survival Um, and there's also a website for this, for this podcast. And can you guess what that website's called? Screenwriter survival Um, 
I have a personal website as well called sambrooksfilm.com. Um, and we'll talk more about the, the podcast social handles uh, after my final question. Um, my final question that isn't going to be really much of a question because I'm asking it to myself, uh, I'm calling this my screenwriter survival tip. And I'm going to ask every one of my guests this. And it is if anyone listening to this podcast could do one thing to help them not only survive in this industry as a screenwriter but thrive, what would that one thing be? And I have to say the number one thing you can do right now to vastly improve your chances at being a screenwriter, the number one thing is to write. Now, I know that isn't a sexy answer. That isn't what you wanted to hear. You wanted to hear that there's a special hack you can do to actually make you be successful. And I'm not, this is not that. Writing does not guarantee you will have a successful career as a writer. But not writing definitely guarantees that you won't have a successful career as a writer. I write every weekday. I highly suggest you do the same. I'm not trying to preach. (laughs) And I realize it's hard. And if you can only just write for five minutes, if that's all you can do, if you can just op- if all you can do is open final draft, stare at it for a few minutes, type one word, type interior room day, and that's all you get. That's fine. Just come back to that the next day and write, Jimmy sits down. I swear that this is the best way to grow. You have to write every day. That's the only requirement I give uh, anyone who asks me, how do I become a writer? The only thing that I say you must do is write. And I was actually had a different screenwriter survival tip and changed it at the last minute. I was going to say move out to LA. And it's really that's really important too. But that's important for this episode. Uh, but if I – when I was like asking myself the question, I thought, well, okay. But overall, the most important thing you can do is write. And so I stand by that. All right, guys. <laughs> I hope you liked this. This is the first episode. I promise I'm not going to talk at you every episode for just minutes on end. Um, So yes, let me know how you thought it went. Uh, Let me know if you have any thoughts on new ways or ways I can improve this this show. Most of it's pre-recorded for the first season, but hopefully we'll come back for a second season. So let me know uh, how you think I can improve. And until then... Remember, don't just survive in this industry, thrive. Hey guys, before we go, I have a quick ask. If you found anything on this show valuable, I would really appreciate it if you would go to Apple Podcasts, go to Stitcher, go to wherever you listen, and give us a quick rate and review. It doesn't have to be anything long, it doesn't have to be anything super in-depth, but that is just the best way to help grow this community. If you think other screenwriters would benefit from hearing this, a rate and review is the best way to make sure our podcast is seen by as many screenwriters as possible. Thank you guys so much, and until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. If you have questions about this episode, you can reach out on Twitter or Instagram. We're at SSGpod. And I'm on Instagram at Sam Brooks Presents. And don't forget to tune in next time to the Screenwriter Survival Guide.